From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 114. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And hello, Perry. Hello. Let's head over to Chicago. How are you doing? How are you doing, Johnny? Oh, somebody pinched me so I wake up. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a little groggy. Uh, I, it, I, um, it was a really nice weekend here and I got outdoors and actually, you know, got outdoors for the first time in like six weeks after having no physical activity. And uh, I did a lot. <laughs> I did. I did. I walked. I did a lot of walking each day. So I'm really, really tired today. <laughs> uh, so, but I, but I, but I actually had enough energy to walk around. So. That's good. It's it's yeah. it's good that you actually got some sunshine on your skin as well. That's that's good. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's my big update. I'm really tired. That's, well, it's good, it's good that you're out and about. That's that's really really good news. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how how are you doing, Perry? Yeah, I, I'm good. Um, we are. I, I think we've gone two weeks now in Hong Kong uh, without any local transmission of COVID nineteen. Uh, so oh people are heading God. back out. Everyone is still wearing a mask, but I've been out shooting a bunch. Uh, been out shooting with my Nikon S2 with the 35 Opton Biogon on it, and uh, just the other day with my Leica M6 with the Voigtlander 21 millimeter f/4 uh, color scope R. So Pentax 67 random cat pictures is hibernating for now, and I'm back on the streets with a rangefinder. So it's it's super fun. It's so much better than shooting cat pics with a Pentax 67. Yeah. So uh, how I'm I'm just just wondering how how uh, life is in in the Hong Kong because I mean you've you've said before that you, know, you you didn't actually go into a, into a lockdown and certainly in in a you know, there are a few countries in Europe now that are starting to open up at least uh, relax restrictions and um, and I think the certainly in the UK the agenda has moved towards thinking about lift lifting things and i'm just just wondering yeah, because it's 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 quite hard to actually remember what life was like before mm. this this happened and i'm i'm just wondering if there's a if there's a glimpse of our futures going on in 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 hong kong because i have seen some pictures of uh activity um going on there and uh and the pictures seem to be like normal life but with masks i mean is is it as simple as that uh, sort of, to a certain degree. I think I think it's sort of yes and no to the question of, are we a preview of you guys? Because yes, in a way, we're kind of two months ahead on the timeline. Um, but on the other hand, we have had fairly aggressive uh, contact tracing and, and testing. So we ne- we never had more than like 60-something cases a day. And that was just one oh period when um, all the, the airports were going to shut. Uh, basically everyone was going to go under mandatory quarantine. So everyone rushed back to Hong Kong and there were a couple of days of spike after that. But, you know, because we got hit hit so hard with SARS, as soon as we had one case here, everyone put their masks on and just locked themselves at home. You know, if you think back a couple of months when you guys had normal life and I was ranting about like toilet paper shortages and stuff and you guys were laughing at me, (laughs) um, (laughs) That was when we had a couple of dozen cases here. So, yeah, in in terms of life here, um, you know, schools have been shut since Chinese New Year, since the end of January. So 
from a business perspective, that's really rough for me because my business, I work with a lot of schools. But apart from that, um, retail's taken a hit because the travelers aren't uh, arriving. Um, but the the rules that the government implemented are mostly restrictions on like the size of crowds in restaurants uh, and the size of gatherings is restricted to four. So apart from that, you know, people are maintaining social distancing. And yeah, I would say it's it's pretty much life as normal with masks, but with fewer people on the streets and more people working from home. So the weird thing is when Hong Kong is really, really busy, like rush hour um, and weekdays, it, it's actually really quiet because everyone's working from home or not working. Uh, but then on weekends, it's crazy. Everywhere gets totally packed because everyone is just flooding out to, um, to, to go outside. So the beaches have been packed, the hiking trails have been packed. Um, and, you know, I, w- I went to the most remote village in Hong Kong uh, two days ago, yesterday, sorry, to shoot. And it was it was completely packed. So when you, when you say packed, is that packed is in the old way of saying packed or packed with everybody at two meters apart from each other? Uh, both. So where it's unavoidable, uh, it's just normal packed, like on the bus over um, or in the sort of tight tight streets, um, the sort of tight market streets of this village, where it's impossible to keep distance. But then whenever it's possible, people just kind of spread out. It's really funny because one of the elevators in my building is under maintenance right now. And I went down earlier today and when the elevator doors opened, there were about maybe 10 people waiting in the lobby and they were all stood perfectly spread out with even spacing between them in the lobby. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, but our mass penetration is like 99.9% as well. Oh, my God. It's like a sponge of people, isn't it? <laughs> it, it sort, sort of, sort of. So it's okay. You know, even though we haven't had a local transmission for two weeks, I don't think anyone is going to let their vigilance down because everyone here turned into a hypochondriac after SARS. So, um, but the tricky thing is, I mean, for you guys, where you have so many cases in your countries, the contact tracing is going to be hard to implement in the same way. I think the thing that makes us comfortable going outside, I haven't stopped going out to restaurants and things like that, for example, during this whole period. Um, But just knowing exactly, you know, that there's four cases and then the government publishes where they live, like which buildings they're in. um, And then they're forced to quarantine or they're sent to hotels or quarantine centers. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, from a kind of going out and shooting perspective, um, not not a lot is things are starting to come back to normal i would say yeah wow uh yeah we had we had three thousand new cases just yesterday and that's just in illinois that's in one state out of 50 and one state where there's a reasonable governor that's actually using science to determine what to do next yeah (laughs) this country is just so because we're 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 not we and people are now people are freaking out about contact tracing <laughs> right, so right we're just i it just it's just a write-off just 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 kill everybody and start over <laughs> <laughs> i mean it that's pretty much what's gonna happen so just get it over with <laughs> okay <laughs> back on, uh, yeah, back, back, back onto lenses. Um, um, so you've been shooting cats and um, adapting weird and wonderful things, Perry. Uh, no, that's that's. I'm over that now. I'm back out with rangefinders. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what, Johnny? What were you? What were you using the other day? Um, 
so on uh, uh i don't know what days that we're talking about on saturday on saturday i went to the uh midwin um uh, tallgrass prairie preserve which is a, a federal uh it's part of the usda so it's like a federal nature sort of preserve where it's the last vestiges of the original tall grass prairie that once covered about you know eight states uh completely so there's there's basically about one area left of several hundred acres of that original landscape um and they have um they have bison there as well which of course i did not see any bison because they were off doing bison things somewhere else uh, but I walked around and I took some landscape photos and um, I I used uh, I shot a pack of film through the uh, Polaroid 195. So I shot a pack of color uh, instant film, Fuji instant film on that. And then I shot, um, I got a few shots done on the uh, FT2 pano camera um, with a roll, a roll of film that I had put in in, march and have not touched the camera since march um so that was good and uh did some digital shots with the uh x100s the fuji uh and then yesterday um i took out the roly 2.8 c which i had been meaning to shoot for ages and ages and i got to shoot a roll through that yesterday shot a roll of acros and then i shot also yesterday I had the um, the Broly uh RF35 with the 40 millimeter uh M Rokar on it, Rokar on it. So so I shot those two things yesterday. So I I've shot more in the past 2 days than I have in the past, you know, 3 months, which was really good. So um so hopefully this week coming up I have, you know, some energy and um, to do some film developing. So that would be excellent. So I actually, yeah, I actually had a lot of shooting this week com- compared to recent, recent times. Oh, that's, that's good news. And, uh, jo- go on, sorry, Perry. Johnny, you've been shooting the, um, you've been shooting that, that Polaroid with a pack film, uh, quite a bit, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, c- partly cause it's easy, you know, it's instant, so it's not like I have to do anything, develop film, whatnot. Yeah. And just shoot it, and it's done, and it's, you know, it's been easy, and I've been... I, I started by just taking shots out my windows while I was sequestered inside. Um, uh, so, yeah, and then got some sun, and, uh, yeah, just really nice to take it out. And and the um, the, the Tomioka Tominon lens you've got on that camera, is that the native one that it came with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so basically, the 195 Polaroid built a few high-end models of their typical uh, 100 series land camera, um, mm-hmm. and typically those have an auto exposure system, you know, battery-operated auto exposure lens, which was actually uh, a really groundbreaking thing when those cameras came out because um, it works. Um, but it's you know it's completely auto exposure with basically an f12 lens on it uh so you have no kind of control over anything um you just point and shoot right 
so the 195 that I have has, um, as you mentioned, a Tomioka uh, 114 millimeter f3.8 lens on it with a you know a, a copal aperture or a you know copal shutter. So it's 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 basically it's like a large format lens on a Polaroid pack film camera. So you have complete exposure control. Um, which is awesome <laughs> because you can actually, you can actually, you know, change things up the way you want to change them. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really nice camera. It's sort of like the high, high, the top tier camera that they, that they produced. Sweet. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, is it, it's rangefinder focus, right? It is. Yeah. It's, it's rangefinder focus. Um, there's a couple of different range finders that came on those cameras. Uh, this is the, the, one of them is a Zeiss finder. That's a, like a single window for focus and frame. And the, the one I have on this camera is a dual window. So you've got mm. a range finder patch for focusing and then you've got a window for framing, which I actually, I actually prefer that finder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, re- it's relatively accurate. I mean, they're not, you know, the range finder cam is literally a metal tab that sticks up. Um, and when I got this 195, the focus was nowhere near right. So by trial and error of just slightly bending that tab <laughs> until I got the focus, like I was able to get focus at minimum focus distance. Um, and then, you know, infinity was fine. Also, uh, I, I kind of got it. I got it dialed in where that range finder is, you know, it's relatively accurate. I mean that they're, they're, by nature, those cameras are just not very accurate um, focus-wise, even when they're 100%. But that's just, it is what it is. It's a strut, it's a strut folding camera, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, anytime you don't have a rigid focusing system, uh, you know, you, you can get some, some problems there. But it, it's acceptable. You know what I mean? It's like you could never shoot super shallow depth of field and nail focus with those cameras, but that's not really what they're made to do. So, right. Plus you're not going to blow those up. So who cares? No, you're right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're basically making a one to one size print. I mean, you, you could back in the day, if you were using like type 55 film and you had a negative that, you know, the film that produced a po- both a positive and a negative, you, you could do that. Um, but I mean, that was just sort of never the, brief on those cameras was to be a mm-hmm. super highly accurate focus kind of kind of thing you know they they look good if you're making a basically a not quite four by five inch print that you're just going to view at that size they're great for that so right yeah so yeah nice camera all right well i've just picked something up because um I haven't got a, too much to say about what I've been up to, but I've decided that I want to play that game of uh, uh, guess the camera <laughs> because it's this is a bit unusual, <laughs> and um, so I've just I've cocked it already, and uh, here we go now. That's a pretty chunky old uh, thing. Let's wind that on again. Oh. That was shooting at uh, thousands. Actually, I should really drop that down, shouldn't I? Just the standard test is at uh, one two five, isn't it? So here we go. Here we go. Now. It's a big bugger, by the way. And wound uh, twice. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, 
my guess is a uh, Pentacon 6. No. Good good guess, medium format, but not that isn't what it is. And it is does it have some other console. garbage Eastern European medium format camera? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the one, it's one of the uh, it's one of the few that look exactly like a Hasselblad. Oh, oh no, it's a freaking Kia V eight. It is. Uh, uh, yours works? That's amazing. It does, yeah, yeah. Right. That's, the, yeah, the shutter sound no one's ever heard. Because <laughs> it never <laughs> works. <laughs> that was, wow. That was that was the reason why I bought it because it was sold as working. I was thinking, oh wow. <laughs> I think the other is it, is it a salute salute eighty eight or something like that is the Yeah. Uh, so can can you go out in the driveway and start your you go you go for us now so we can hear that? <laughs> I, I remember uh, it always always surprised me that Hugo's actually ever made it to America. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of, all, of all the cars in the world that to not suit your country, yeah, it's the, the <laughs> yeah. Hugo is is definitely one of them. But there was yeah. a, I think it must have been the late late 80s uh they, they made a, a film of the tv series the older tv series dragnet and it had uh tom hanks and dan Aykroyd uh oh, starring that's right yeah. yeah and there's a the, the they kept breaking cars uh police cars and so uh i'm not sure if they did it more than once but eventually uh they they ended up being given a yugo um, because the, <laughs> that was the only thing they could yeah. be trusted with. Oh my and, god! Uh, yeah, and I was thinking, no, how could they possibly have one of those there? Um, but no, um, Kiev eighty-eight, and this this one is a special one, of course, because it, it's got the uh, the the star on there. Uh, let's lift the thing up. It's it's not just the weight of the camera that I'm, that I'm struggling with; it's the lens. But we'll come to that. Um, but oh, this, oh, it's got god. the uh, you know the the communist star on there and cccp ah. which therefore means it's it's one it's the best and it is a communist party uh politburo uh lens ah. camera sorry um but it, <laughs> it's it's mu i mean I've, I've had a couple of the salutes before which strangely enough didn't work um but it's the first time i've had a kiev 88 and I, I tell you this it's passable as a hasselblad it really is you know <laughs> it's uh i mean Everything even seems to line up on it as well, which is usually the giveaway that uh, it perhaps isn't a Hasselblad. But this is this is good. I'm I'm, I'm impressed with this and the and the, the metal shutter on there. But the other there was the reason why I got it though was um, apart from the fact it was cheap and it said it was working. Uh, but it's also got a, a finder on there. It's got a metered finder and uh, yeah. the Kiev uh, sixty finder, uh, which will work on a. Uh, Oh no, it doesn't. Does it work on? No, no, no. I'm thinking about the well, the finder on that anyway. Um, the 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 one that's uh, the AE finder. So it's got the meter in there. Uh, that's a great finder um, on on the Kiev, and I think it's personally preferable to the one on the Pentacon Six. And I'm thinking, well, this actually goes straight onto a Hasselblad. So uh, I've yet to put the put a, a battery into it to see if it actually works, but it will go straight onto it. So. Um, and it's in reasonable condition but the other notable uh, part of this um, is the lens uh, because it's got a tear or tie uh, 33 on there ah. and it's it's a really heavy lens and yeah it's uh, a 300 millimeter 4.5 sorry Perry, you're gonna say something there i was gonna say wait to the 300 millimeter yeah but yes yes 
so so it's there with the with the prison finder and this huge lens on it and it is definitely the heaviest uh, camera setup that I've, uh, I've i've used it's really really massive and heavy and uh, but it's it's mint as well it's gorgeous and yeah i've looked through the lens and it looks it looks good um and I can actually adapt it as well because these these things have got. I think if I'm right, I think I can adapt it anyway. But I think it's got like a modified Pentagon Six mount. It's not quite yeah. the same as a Pentagon Six. It's a little bit different. Um, but um, I think did I get it from RAF camera or somewhere else? I don't know. Uh, but there's like a kit you can do to convert them. And uh, I did that and I I messed it all up. And then I found out that I messed it up in such a way that I think I made it so that my adapter now um, which i've got a pentagon 6 to nikon adapter then i'll then put that onto sony or whatever but i i think i did it in such a way that i bent something in the wrong way and it now actually will actually mount both kinds of lenses uh, which is which is quite cool so uh, i'm gonna give right. that a go sometime are you, are you are you gonna shoot a handheld um, well, I'm going to put a strap on it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do have a strap. <laughs> but that's the thing, 300mm lens, you know, it, it's, it, it looks, I mean, it really looks the part. It looks like somebody, actually, it looks more like a cine camera. You know, should be doing athletics or television with it or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'll, I'll have a go at it hand, handheld at some point. So It looks yeah. like a telescope mounted to the Kiev. That's a, How are you going to shoot that thing handheld? It, it, <laughs> it's, it, well, you know, I've got the prison finder. So, so, but the prism finder is at a forty-five degree angle, right? Yeah. So you're gonna, yeah, it's your your left arm is gonna be fully outstretched, it's, right? It's it's designed for torso level shooting, a torso <laughs> level uh, viewpoint. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Uh, well, I mean, if if uh, if it works, you know, you, the images should look really great from that combo. Yeah, fingers crossed. You know, as long as any light leaks or anything else that could could go wrong with it. So, uh, yeah, I just got to remember the, the the cocking order. So I'm pretty sure you've got to cock the thing first before you change the shutter speed on it. I think that's the right way. That's how I've been doing it, and it hasn't broken on me yet. And so uh, I'll 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 keep on doing that, and fingers crossed it'll be okay. Good luck. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, um, anyway, let's let's move on to the the, the rest of the show, uh, which is going to be a short show this week because uh, we've only actually as things stand, we got twenty five minutes left, um, which, judging by our mailbag, uh, because that's what we decided we'll do, we'll go through the uh, the emails. We probably won't actually get to the end of the emails, so um, but we'll we'll do our best. Um, but I think before we actually do, um, actually no. We will have the email, but it leads on to something that we've, that uh, that Perry's going to talk us through as well. So, uh, Johnny, do you want to dig out the email from Chris Holland, and which we alluded to, uh, or we, we sort of half read out uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and then we'll go into that in a little bit more detail with Perry. Uh, this is the the new email from Chris Holland. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Chris Holland. Uh, Send us an email on April 12th, and the subject is Classic Lenses Buying Guide and Checklist. Um, so he says, hi, Simon, uh, Johnny, and Perry. Uh, is my Classic Lens Buying Guide and Checklist complete and correct in your view? And there is a link. And then he says, please let me know. And kind regards, Chris. Um, and then he's got it in his little signature. You will get great wet-on-wet bokake only with a classic 
Raynox Classic Lens. What was that word you just used there? That's an interesting word you just used. Yes, that is a that is a um, a new entry in Urban Dictionary, folks. So uh, it's a real word, and now that it's a real word, Simon's not going to ban me from using it on the podcast. So it will be used as part of our regular lexicon here on the Classic Lenses podcast. Interestingly enough, that's not a word that can actually get used in Facebook, though, is it? No, it isn't. And interesting enough, I am now banned from Facebook because yeah. some humorless son, son of a bitch reported a link to an article <laughs> that I shared, which in no way had porn in it, but it was about porn. So I got flagged and I am now booted from Facebook indefinitely. So congratulations, dickwads, who are in our private... <laughs> Classic Lenses podcast group and have decided to get offended enough to report something as porn that was a link to an article that already existed on Facebook elsewhere. Thank you very much. Remove your <laughs> ass from our group and go find a place where you can be, uh, you know, suitably annoyed in private by the mention <laughs> of porn. Thanks a lot. Public service uh, over. Announcement over. So then, on to the lens buying guide. Son of a bitch! So, uh, Chris, Chris has updated this since Simon and I discussed it briefly on the last show. Uh, but essentially, his link is uh, a list of ten things to check um, before yeah. buying a lens. He has three things that he says should be yes, seven things that he says should be no. Uh, and the update that he's put... Basically, last time when we talked about it, I mentioned that all of his seven things that are deal breakers for him, uh, none of them were, strictly speaking, deal breakers for me, at least. Um, so he's updated that, but let's just go through them. And I think this won't necessarily take super long because we've talked about almost all of these things before. Right. Uh, so I'm just going to go through them. And if there are any that you guys want to dive a bit more into, then we'll just do that. So... His three yeses are, uh, number one, will you be able to adapt the lens properly to your camera? Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, that goes without saying, right? Well, it does. Uh, it is a good point. I mean, I, get, <laughs> I, mean, I, do, I do get questions. I mean, I only had one uh, this, this week uh, via eBay. Will, will this uh, Nikon Z adapt to allow me to use this, this lens on a, on a Nikon 3200? And the answer is obviously no. Um, so it's it's it. I think that's actually a very relevant question. So I, that's probably one of the questions I get asked most, especially from Nikon users. Yeah. That, that's fair. And you know, the last couple of lenses I've bought have all been like I, I've been unable to mount them to my cameras without some help from the ladies at Little Garden. Uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely the case. And Robbie and I have been discussing uh, his Amadeo adapter and issues with getting a 35 Biogon onto a like a uh, M yeah. mount yeah. camera yep. uh, by that adapter. So, yeah, fair enough. Make sure that the lens properly adapts because uh, there are going to be some issues with certain specific lenses. But, you know, for the most part, yes, this is... this is Actually, that, and that, actually that's, that's, that's another one as well because a, a lens might actually adapt to another mirrorless camera but not ad adapt to a different one. Um, mm -hmm. you know, famous case being uh, the Jupiter 12 will work on full frame um, and the same adapter will allow you to use other lenses. Um, but then you put it onto a Fuji or a or Micro Four Thirds and the rear element's going to hit the housing around the sensor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, just because a lens will adapt to one mirrorless system doesn't necessarily mean it's going to adapt to another one. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's totally fair. And, you know, if you adapt some lenses to certain mounts like Canon EOS, you know, the 5D mirror will hit certain yeah. lenses that will mount, you know, mount comfortably. So, hmm, there's definitely more to this. Okay, so adaptation, uh, number one. His second yes is, does the aperture open and close uh, and do so smoothly? Fair enough, right? Um, I mean, there's two things here, I think. If it's a if it's a lens that's not auto aperture, then this is fairly straightforward to check. Um, but if it's auto aperture, then you're going to have to get it onto an adapter or a camera that engages the auto aperture system um, so that you can see that it's closing down properly. Uh, but I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is sometimes lenses um, that are auto aperture, they're, they're slow to either open or close. Right. And so right. the aperture is working, but it's it's delayed on one of the movements. And that really screws with your uh, exposure. Yeah. I don't know how to check that, though. Um, so at when we got lenses at Central Camera, that was one of the first things that we checked. And it was honestly with SLR lenses, it's probably one of the top three problems that would if we were like going to evaluate. A, you know, stuff to purchase. It was one of the top three things with lenses that would be um, problematic. So, mm-hmm. I mean, usually there's a way to manipulate the the aperture stop down lever to check it, but with some lenses like you know Canon FD lenses, you pretty much have to put them on a camera, yeah, um, to try them out. But it's super super common with SLR lenses. Um, yeah, because they just if they get any lubricants on the aperture blades, they're just they're going to open and close in slow motion or not at all. Mm-hmm. So and and honestly, when we were buying lenses, if it had a slow aperture, the lens, unless it was something really special, was junk because you, then you got to pay somebody to take it apart, clean the aperture, put it back together. You can't, you know what I mean? It's like if you're mm-hmm. going to buy a lens and resell it for, let's say, $100, and you're going to put $50 worth of work in it, that means you have to buy it for 10 to make $20 or whatever. It's just not worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, for the somebody buying it a lens to use for their own camera, you know, it might be worth it if they're going to take the lens apart and clean it. But it's that's a really big no, 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 go, no, go, in my opinion, is, is does the aperture work or not? Yeah, and if it's super slow, you can see it by eye, but the really yeah. irritating ones are the yeah. ones where it looks like it's fine, but it's not, you know, it's not closing down quickly enough to match the shutter speed, right. or it's not opening up quickly enough for you to get your next frame. Yeah. Um, well, it's really the former that's the problem, and you, you you can't really notice that unless you test multiple multiple images on different apertures to see right. if the exposures are different. Well, that, yeah. that's... Uh that that expression um uh about describing the aperture as snappy that's pretty much what that's talking about so when the, if you can actually uh, because a lot of these things as as john was saying there you you can manipulate the aperture and usually you're working against the spring in one one direction or or the other and and it's it's so you open the aperture up and then you let it go or or the other way around 
potentially, but uh, but it's it's just how fast that actually re- responds. And yeah, what, what I tend right. to do is I, I, f- I try to like flick it uh, mm-hmm. you know, with my fingernail, you know, and click click click. You know, that that kind of that kind of speed. And if it, if it literally has returned in the time it takes me to to actuate it again very very quickly, then I'm I'm comfortable with it. It's as simple as that. If there's any kind of, yeah. uh, if it's almost if if I can see it moving, it's probably too slow. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really cool tip. Yeah, and I mean if you if you put it on a camera at one second, right, and you fire it, you know, one second you there's obviously a a pause between the opening and closing of the lens. You know, at when you press the button, it should open instantly. And then when the shutter closes again, it should close instantly. But if it, if it's slow doing either one of those things, you'll be able to see, yeah, right. It's either open, mm-hmm. so it's it, it's not really hard to test, but it you know it's definitely a it's definitely a big problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. So number three on the yes list is uh, does the focus ring turn smoothly across the full range, which. I think is again quite self-explanatory, right? Mm, yeah, I, yeah. I get. I get the feeling we could actually spend a long time on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and we yeah. much have fifteen minutes left. Um, so um, uh, yeah. that, that's the thing. Focus, focus rings oh. are, are, are funny in themselves um, because if a lens hasn't been used for a long period of time, it can sometimes free itself up. If it's a if it's a former Soviet yeah. Union lens or perhaps an East German lens, if it's if it's a bit stiff in places, it's probably going to stay that way. Uh, but mm. you know, I'm I've, I'm describing a, a something that happened with my Coles Ice 50 millimeter f 1.4 planar, uh, which I hadn't used for over 20 years, and when I've used it for the first time, it had a bit of a notch. And I was gutted. I was thinking, oh, I've left my lens, and it's 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 ruined and all this kind of stuff and uh and it just went away after after a, you know a few a few goes or a, a day or so and it was a, it was perfectly smooth but that really is the rarity um generally speaking if if a if a lens is stiff or it's got a it's got a um a point on it that you can feel a stiff point then it usually indicates either a, an issue with the lubricant or potentially damage to the actual um focus ring itself Mm-hmm. oh yeah man the more the more you say it the more i think we can do an entire episode on focus ring smoothness because <laughs> you can have too smooth you can have not smooth enough you can have weird bits uh but then there's damping as well right and different levels of damping not even not only between different lenses but also different copies of the same lens yeah i think nikons are the most notorious for me on 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 damping i mean sometimes they, they they're nice sometimes they, they spin almost freely mm-hmm. um and some oh, yeah <laughs> yeah we can yeah. we can talk about that for a long time so that's not <laughs> okay focus lube moving on okay the the next seven are the uh the nose um and i think for the sake of time what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna list all seven uh and then if there are any that we want to dive into then let's go um, so number one, scratches. He says, small scratches on the corner of the front are no problem, uh, but never buy a classic lens with any scratches on the back. Uh, I disagree, but, you know, let's, let's, come, let's yeah, come back to that. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I'll, I'll, I'll put in that, unless it's cheap. 
Right. It's got to reflect accordingly in the price, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, number two, fungus. Uh, number three, haze. Number four, balsam separation. Number five, oil on aperture blades. Number six, damaged filter threads. And number seven, loads of dust. Yeah, I, I, I would say there's exceptions to every single one of those. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it depends. Too. It depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it's got to reflect in the price. Number one, obviously, yeah. um, and it depends whether you're buying the lens as a user or you intend to sell it on. Um, but I think you know, as you hoard more and more lenses, uh, <laughs> you, you you start to get a feel for like which of these are are inevitable to a certain degree, and yeah at which point it's actually going to matter. Right. So cleaning marks, I really don't care. Even fungus, it depends. Yeah, it depends on all of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to, they're all, they're all going to be um, price specific. Uh, and it's, and it's, it, you know, does the problem specifically impact the way you're going to use the lens? That's mm. that's a question you can ask yourself. For instance, balsam separation. You know, uh, if if you're going to be taking lots of gratuitous bukkake shots, um, then um, balsam <laughs> separation is going to show itself. And uh, so, yeah, and you you'll, you you will then be like Carl, and it will torment you forever until you get <laughs> until you get one that's uh, that, that's clear of, of, yeah. of the problem um, simon i don't think you pronounce that word the way that did i know <laughs> oh well there you go <laughs> I, 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 I try it's, it's going to be my stoke accent so uh, yeah if anybody miss misheard what i said i said that then uh, it's yeah you're, you're wrong and i said it i said it was my I, i'm so happy for the hashtags that are going to come out of this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, one thing I, I do want to uh, just mention briefly is the whole fungus growing and infecting other lenses. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there may be a certain degree of that, but I, I think that's false because fungal spores are literally everywhere. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, you know, if you live in a place then there will be fungal spores around, right? <laughs> it's just like whether or not you have the conditions for them to grow in a problematic way. Right. So the best, the best answer is take that lens with fungus and put it, uh, put it in with your sourdough starter. If you're making uh, coronavirus <laughs> bread, because everybody's doing that and, and it'll help. It will help with the, the, the growth of your sourdough. <laughs> so everybody should have a lens with fungus if they're going to be baking bread. <laughs> Oh, we had a flower shortage here the other uh, the other for um, real. Yeah, for like three weeks. Wow! It just came back. Holy yeah, hell! It, it's it's been tough over here for flour as well. Everybody's baking. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What can you say? Um, I just want to say something about uh, oil on aperture blades, and, mm. and there are some lenses it just is not a problem. Yeah. And, totally. Uh, yeah. So uh, and even then, I've just. Uh, Got to be careful when you actually be come out with a statement quite as definitive as right. that. Um, so it's okay. It's 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 such a grey area. Uh, this one is because there there are some lenses where an element of lubrication is not a bad thing, and we're talking in the area of um, preset lenses. Um, certainly, automatic lenses which have got to move out of the way quickly. 
then they definitely do not and should not have lubrication on them because that will actually mm-hmm. slow them down. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's that's what happens. Because it just it just causes some stickiness between uh, between the blades. Preset lenses. Um, this is where people have arguments over, and that's why I've had to like stop myself and had to reverse a little bit. Um, because I've I've heard contrary opinions about preset lenses, and uh, well, some people will say they they should never ever ever ever. Uh, have any lubrication on at all some people say yeah you can use graphite um, or they should have graphite or some lenses should actually have a little bit of lubrication on on some of these older uh, preset lenses Um, (laughs) I'm going to say jury's out on that one but certainly um, if I buy a preset lens and it has uh, oil on there and there's no haze um, it will not worry me in the slightest Right. Yeah. Uh, there is one thing that is not on Chris's list um, that I think is worth looking for as well when you're buying lenses, which is any wear, uh, any sort of wear on the coatings, which can be really, really hard to spot um, yeah. when you don't have a light at like a really specific angle. I mean, the impact on the image is usually fairly minimal depending on the degree and, and what it's like. But it's, that's one of those things that often you will buy a lens and it looks perfect and you come back home and then you're just looking at the lens, you know, through the window and boom, you notice that like half of the coating is worn from the front or back. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's just something to check for, which you can only really do by looking at it at lots of different angles under a light to see the reflective angles. Yeah. Bolson separation falls under that category as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've mentioned before I've, I've bought lenses um, but I bought three or four lenses now, which I thought were perfect, and then they had absolutely horrendous balsam separation uh, with them, and they were perfect at the time I was looking at them. You know, to the point where I was thinking, did somebody switch them in my bag or something like that? I was thinking, how could I possibly miss this? Um, but in the case of balsam separation, which can show up in the images, um, I've I've not actually experienced, to my knowledge any problem with the images that that um, where, where there's been some coating marks uh, have appeared mm-hmm. where it's actually shown up in in the photos but then again though it, it, i guess it's probably more to do with a potential lack of contrast in yeah. your images that you're perhaps not getting rather than a, a specific thing that you can make it make manifest itself in a, in, a, in a photo yeah yeah exactly exactly contrast or flare yeah so I, I tend not to, I tend, that's, of, of the defects, that's one of the things I probably, that concerns me least. Um, but yeah, if I've, if I've got a lens I particularly like and I can see, see those, those marks and there's just something not quite right or something's reflecting back and it, and it shouldn't be, that's just more of an irritant uh, to me than uh, something that's going to worry me about the image quality at least. Right. It'll hit the, hit the resale value, but not necessarily actually matter. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, hey, what's the deal with um? What's the deal with aperture blades that close down wonky, uh, as well? Because I've had a bunch of lenses where you know when you stop them down all the way, um, that those final two stops is like it's not straight, and most of the time it it doesn't seem to be a problem. But I have had one lens basically fall apart on me, um, after a bunch of use because the aperture blades were wonky because they were starting to break, essentially. I think there's well, there's a couple of things there. I mean, one, something's gone wrong, and they haven't been put back together properly. That could be could be going on there. Um, there's 
Caulfield lenses uh, come to my mind as soon as you started talking about that, uh, about that subject. And because they, they seem to, they, they have some, inc what appear to be extra thin aperture blades. And when you, when you close those down, you can sometimes see flecks uh, all the way mm. through the, 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 the iris. And it's, it's not a good look. And they always tend to be, um, actually, that's, that's, they tend to be oiled as well. I don't think I've actually seen a dry Caulfield app, um, Caulfield um, uh, iris. And when I'm talking about the Caulfield ones now, I'm, I'm talking about the, the ones that are made in England rather than the uh, later ones that were made, for, made out of uh, the Enna factory. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they, they seem to be oiled. And uh, again, I don't know if that's because oil has migrated to the to the blades or not but certainly the actual aperture blades tend to twist on those things and, I, and having seen enough of them now it just seems to be part of the design and i don't worry about it but if you if your blades are not closing down entirely correctly then that would indicate there's something wrong there um the question being is is that a problem to you or not because i've i've certainly had lenses where they it's not a truly regular pattern that it's closed down to but it's it just doesn't it's just not it just doesn't cause me a problem so i don't worry about it yeah, yeah. okay fair enough i mean because some of the lenses i have when you stop them down all the way it it goes from like a perfect i don't know hexagon or octagon to just a, a slightly off-center one but it doesn't seem to be a problem at all oh um, yeah and, no and doesn't seem to get worse i think some just lenses just don't have the you know manufacturing quality to yeah. ensure perfect geometrical symmetry uh, a lot of the out. yeah the, a lot of those um uh later uh zeiss uh tessars from like the 60s the you know the east german ones mm. they're famous for having you know they're like five five aperture blade lenses and they're 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 always like lopsided you know what i mean they're, they're never like they never make like an actual an actual like even uh shape it, it's like there's always uh one blade that's a little wonky it seems like yeah. that's just the way they are so yeah yeah so we're not we're not worried too much about that nah but if it was although that said though if it was an expensive lens then perhaps i might be and i was buying it again you you it's it's one of it's like anything that isn't as perfect as you would like it to be, it will affect the value of, of what you're buying. Um, so any any defects whatsoever should be reflected in the price. It's it really is as simple as that. But I, I wouldn't worry too much about that as being a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, that's. Uh, are, we, are we have we got to the bottom of that? There's also a couple of um, there are some YouTube. Um, clips in there from uh, several people, including the angry photographer, but I think, I think that's a, that's a decent, a decent um, starting point because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to talk about, you know, what you need to be looking for in a lens or whatever. So we've been doing it for however long. Um, there's still plenty and hopefully plenty more people that are going to come into this, this hobby. And I think, um, pages like this are very very helpful we might you know as we've gone down there almost everything on there there's we can, we can be caveated but that's just the nature of the, of, of the hobby so i think as a as a starting point i think that's a it's a good piece of work that chris has done there yep 
Right, and on that, uh, so this so much for our email show because we have we have actually now we have run out of time. Um, <laughs> so uh, we we will do those emails, and there's quite a, there's some there's some really good ones in there. And I actually mm-hmm. just want to say, uh, um, just we've had some quite a bit of feedback from last week's show, our uh, where we sent Carl to a, a desert island there, and uh, so I just want to say thanks to everybody that's uh, that's contributed to that, and 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 we'll probably when we do the. Uh, the the next email show we'll perhaps do a little bit of feedback that we've had from there as well so um but we appreciate uh, people's thoughts on that one um okay so are there any things that we need to get off our chest or should we go straight to shout outs now i'm good johnny so this thing happened in the classic lenses podcast facebook group where i posted a word no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're not bitter about that at all, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I, actually, I'm not bitter about it at all because I. I can I, honestly. I don't really w- want to be on Facebook other than doing kind of the stuff that we do related to this group. So mm-hmm. I'm actually perfectly fine with not really being on Facebook. I'm just, you know, annoyed that, as I said, somebody joins a private group and gets annoyed. It's like what anyway. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um I th- I think that uh I need to say thank you to uh, those people that have uh have donated to us. So I can't remember if we did this last week at all. Um so I'm gonna hopefully I'm not gonna miss anybody. So I'm gonna go back to fifteenth of April uh and say thank you to Gary Florchak, actually, you know what? I think I already have done. Um, and then there was uh, Philip Lembrick with a cup of coffee for Johnny. Thank you to Mike Epstein. Um, uh, Nigel Cliff said, excellent as ever. Some really good emails sent in. I think I might have said that one too. Um, Barry Carr. Then Chris Holland. Um, Hi, Johnny and Perry and Simon uh, for the Classic Lenses classic lens buying guide and the 10 point checklist which we've just been talking about and he's updated it to uh to reflect um we didn't actually talk about it that much when and it was perry and i but we sort of looked at it and they went mm. and <laughs> i think uh, i think chris sort of interpreted that and he uh, modified it a little bit so uh but yeah good work there chris and we'll put a link to that uh, uh checklist in the in the notes as well and uh, also to say uh, thank you to christopher j may um 25 vintage lenses uh, otherwise known as jamie bloomquist thank you very much jamie um and uh lawrence dunn so uh, thank you to those people that uh, have uh, helped us out this week um okay so uh shout outs perry uh no not off the top of my head okay johnny uh, I am not going to give a tearful shout out to Robbie J today uh, because he <laughs> he thought the last one was sufficient enough, so I, I will not do that today. Okay. Uh, and I will not give a tearful shout out to anyone else today. Um, although I I will give a shout out to everyone who has contacted me uh, to offer help and offer best wishes and just to say hello. Um, definitely very much appreciated. So thank you very much. Well, I was I was on the phone to Jeremy North earlier on today, and uh, he asked me to pass on his regards to you as well, Johnny. Oh, well, that's very nice. He, did. he didn't do that to Perry. He was just just to you. <laughs> that's okay. 
Um, but I think there was a reason for that. I think he was feeling yeah. sorry for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I've uh, I've got a quick shout out. Um, stroke plug and, uh, and that's to Ben Kuto the uh, Kuto camera company on eBay um, because he is uh, now manufacturing my lens caps um, in Massachusetts uh, in the United States so uh, if you like my lens caps but you don't want to buy them from England um, you can now buy them in America um, so uh, that's uh, if I think if you do a search for Kuto camera company I think you'll find uh, his page there and there'll also be a link in the notes as well so uh that's 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 my shout out so uh perry outside of this podcast how can people keep up with you uh you can find me on instagram or Flickr at perry g or my never updated website perryg.com and johnny you can find me on uh, in our Facebook group uh, for the classic. <laughs> oh wait, no, you can't. No, you can't. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, you can't find me anywhere unless you come knock on my door. Yeah, bring food. Yeah. Um, okay, and I'm on Twitter <laughs> as Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, I've also got a website where you can buy all my wonderful lens caps as well as my eBay store, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, I'm also every two weeks or so I'm on the large format photography podcast with Andrew Bartram, and that's just about it. So if you do want to write into us, um, and uh, we will get round to your emails eventually, um, what's the best way of doing that, Johnny? Uh, send us an email to uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com um, that is the best way uh, you can also of course find the podcast website at classiclensespodcast.com and you can find the classic lenses podcast on YouTube by searching for classic lenses podcast that's it that's it um, okay uh, I think we're done so Yes, very short show this time. A um, few people cheering about that, probably. Um, so, hope you've enjoyed it. We will catch those emails soon. And if you can, be like Carl.